0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mecha Dragon, a podcast about all the geeky and nerdy stuff you love. Brought to you by Captain Geek and the Dark Nerd. I'm your Captain Will, and I'm your nerd, Jess. Today we are talking The Mandalorian, specifically the third and fourth episodes of the first season titled The Sin and Sanctuary, respectively. We've got, uh, obviously, The Dark Nerd here with us, but we also have back with us our special guest, Cammie. Thanks for coming back with us, Cammie.
1: Happy to be here. Yeah.
0: So let's get right into this because we have so much to talk about with this show. So The Sin, the third episode. Spoilers ahead. For anybody listening to this, we're going straight into spoiler territory, okay? Hide your Yodas, hide your ship. (laughs) Right. So um, with that said, I have to say that one of the things that had me on edge right from the beginning of this episode was this question of, is he going to turn over the kid or not? And I did kind of expect him to turn over the kid, right? Because he's kind of that gunslinger archetype and uh you know he's he has this sort of professional code but at the same time you could tell he was very torn about it and then kind of at the beginning of the episode he turns him right in yeah Um, right away and
2: well that's his job he's a bounty hunter and he has the reputation that precedes him of being one of the best plus he's part of the guild you know so well yeah that's what's expected of him i would assume well
0: absolutely and that's been you know his uh his job for a long time but the thing was i mean i was still pretty horrified by that and you know there's that stare that the little baby yoda gives him it's as he's being you know floated away well it's only you know, horrifying because they've
2: made yoda such a cute little bastard everybody just wants to eat him all up and we don't want anything bad to happen to little, little baby Yoda, so. Yeah, he looks yeah.
1: longingly as he's
0: mm-hmm. going through the door. Save me, yeah. please. <laughs> and, of course, you know, he comes back with the reward uh, to his, you know, his base with his uh, fellow Mandalorians and the armorer. And he, you know, opens up the Beskal Steel, or the, uh, the Beskal. Beskar. Uh, Beskar, thank you. Uh, he opens up the Beskar. You know, however, there's a lot of people there, other mandalorians who are upset with him for working for the empire since the empire did so many bad things to their people, right? Right. And took so much from them. But then of course the armorer reminds them that he lives according to the way and you know, he puts himself out there and he's in danger, so how could he be a coward? And then they all sort of echo their this is the way ritualistic sort of mantra that they have, mm-hmm. right? So then after that, of course, he decides, he's like, screw it, I'm going to save the kid, right? He has that moment where he gets into his ship, and he's literally, you know, pressing the buttons and cycling up the engine, and he's about to leave the planet, uh, but it's been weighing on him, you know, because he keeps asking about what's going to happen to the kid, and uh, which seems really out of character for not only, a, you know, him, but... A bounty hunter in general, right? people keep bringing up well, you know that's not that's kind of surprising coming from you,
2: yeah, and it's like there's that one scene where he's reaching forward to engage the thrusters or whatever it is, you know mm-hmm. to fire up the engines, and he sees that little
0: little knob, knob that Yoda was the playing with,
2: yeah, um, and, that and that was that's a, what that gets was him. A, yeah, that was a cute scene in the beginning too, you know he's Yoda, you see him, we're just gonna call him Yoda, I guess, but uh baby Yoda baby Yoda. You see him, like, climbing down out of the his little crib there, his floating crib. And then they show the Mandalorian flying, and you see his little green hand come up. And yeah. you don't notice it right away. And they're like, ah. Oh, and he's taking the ball. He's, then he like, it's not a toy. And little Yoda's trying to he's eat like it. He's, like, chewing on it or yeah, something. Yeah. just <laughs> like a kid. Even though you're 50 years old, you're still that, you know, infantile. You're just going to put everything in your mouth. And that would be tough to be a parent to a child for 100 years. I would oh God! <laughs>
0: yeah, especially when you don't even live a hundred years. Yeah,
2: and then he just like scruffs him like a baby cat and puts him back in his crib. It's not a. But thorn. yeah,
0: so that was a that you know that was a great little moment. But yet at the same time, even though we cannot see his face, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in that moment when he's about to take off and he yeah you know grabs that lever that he's thinking about it. Yeah, just just through his posture and everything, you can just tell you know exactly what he's thinking. You're right, and then suddenly he straightens, and you can tell he's like, "All right, screw it." That's it. I'm going to get the kid. I cannot no. let this stand. And, and so, I like the way they lined that up with the music.
2: You like feel the oh, music yeah. like Ch-ch-ch-ch... building up. The music's great in the show. The
0: music in the show is just really stellar, really exceptional. I have to say. I- I've talked about how it feels like the perfect fusion between like Star Wars and like old westerns. You know. Right. Um, but yeah, you- you're right. It's amazing. And so, I-, I am going somewhere with all of this. Right. So then, of course, he goes, and we can talk about this whole sequence, but like he he basically goes through everyone that gets in his way to save this kid, right? And he finally gets him out, and then of course his his fellow Mandalorians come and back him up in his moment of most dire need, right? And again, I wanna we can talk about this scene, but what I'm getting to is so first he helped the Empire by taking this really super shady bounty to deliver them. A helpless infant, a more or less helpless infant, right? Little baby. Or I guess maybe he's a toddler since he can walk. Then he goes against, like, the bounty hunter's guild code, right? By A, asking all these questions and sticking around afterwards, and B, coming and, you know, basically cutting through his former clients uh, to take back the bounty that he just delivered them. So the question that this all poses is, why is this episode called The Sin? So, Cammie, you kind of brought this up in our our uh, messages that we were passing back and forth recently, yes. right? Yes, yeah. And I thought that was a really great question to address because, you know, is his sin handing it over, breaking his word and, you know, leaving the guild or you know, breaking the guild's rules? Was it something else? Cami? what are your thoughts on this uh, answer to this question?
1: So, yeah, I, I definitely... I, I'm finding the... Especially, I mean, I know we're on, on three right now for the episode, but I find the titles all very interesting. Like, there's some sort of vibe of this ancient religion. And I know that the guild is not related to the Mandalore religion at all, but... Um, so I was trying to find where the what what the meaning of the sin meant and um i thought it was perhaps he just sinned against the guild but um that was just a speculation i'm not quite sure um that was something i was curious to hear what you guys had to say you know why you think that it's obviously the first episode the child or the second one was the child and we all know why but i was curious what you guys thought about why is this called the sin
0: well, I have a, a a darth of thoughts on this, but Jess, what do you what do you think is the answer to this question?
2: I don't know. It's it's kind of weird to think of it cuz if you think of it as a, the way I see it, um he's basically turning his back on everyone he comes in contact with throughout the episode itself. You know, from beginning to end, it's like he turns his back on Yeah, he's on abandoning the everything child. for
1: this with this mm. foundling that he I mean, he abandons everything that he Beliefs. yeah
2: and then he turns yeah. his back on his fellow bounty hunters he turns his back on the client and he turns his back basically on everybody and then in the end he turns his back on uh carl weathers i don't remember his name in the show but <laughs> right. uh you know he, he basically, he basically just betrays this person and that person then this person and that person and i then again if you call it the sin you're basically looking at it from all of their points of view towards him. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. aside from that, it could just be the sin was giving up on the innocence of the child. You know, for personal yeah. The
1: gain. very first thing he did in the episode. But
2: that's that's what he mm-hmm. does and who he is. That's,
0: yeah, that's. I mean, a job. I think I think that it's. Um... It's not uncommon for a good title to have multiple meanings at multiple different levels, right? Right. So I I think that it probably, you know, could you could make a really good argument that it refers to any of these things that we were talking about. But I think that really the sin that trumps them all is the fact that he was willing to sell out Mm -hmm. and basically give this small, helpless, more or less helpless child over to people that clearly mean to do him harm and are clearly not good people. Right. For money. And so, you know, and then he recognizes that. And the great thing is, right, the great thing is once he makes that decision and we do get to see, you know, what a great, amazing warrior he is. Right. is great. But his fellow Mandalorians are there to back him up when he does decide to turn against the Empire because they got no love for the Empire or whatever's left of it. Probably right. the best scene right. in
1: the episode is that where they come shooting down to rescue him that was that was the best
0: oh was, yeah cuz
2: all yeah. the other bounty hunters now i at first i thought that he was the target wow. but essentially it's it's still the target has just again been baby yoda but all of their little tracking fobs just instantly all you know came back that to life that was great
0: too because at the beginning of the episode you know they he pointed out when he uh, went back to collect his uh, reward or talk to Carl Weathers again, or whenever it was, he asked how many of the other bounty hunters had a fob. And he said, all of them. So they really established that. Right. So you, so once he takes the, (laughs) the Yoda baby and he's walking nearby and they all go off, you know, that, you know, shit's about to go down. And that, that was great.
2: Yeah. I was like watching, watching the episode with my son yesterday. And uh, it was the first time seeing it. He's like, He's walking down the alley with the kids and then he's like, do you think they know where he is in the next scene? You know, they're all pointing guns at him in the middle of the street. And I'm like, pretty sure he's figured it out by
0: now. <laughs> yeah. I like how uh, – so he goes through this whole battle basically from the mm-hmm. door in to get the kid and then all the way out, you know, and back to his ship. I like how the action doesn't, doesn't make him out to be this like over-the-top like – Cheesy like action like nothing can touch him. Type well, yeah, he's of a hero. not a superman, but he is definitely a Batman Well, it's not even about it's not even about that. It's it's a at least what I'm talking about It's about the fight scenes are kind of dirty, right. you know and gritty It's not just like he rolls over him, you know He takes some punches and he mm-hmm. takes some hits, but yet he you know, he's he's got the will and the skill Uh, take them down that's
2: one of the things I really liked about this episode is how they did show his skill and show his talent in fighting and even multiple enemies and that's one of the things I took away from this episode is it really you know uh, put him up on a pedestal of this is why he is as good as he is
0: yeah and it's not even just that he's like real strong or you know has the best like you know fighting technique or something he's also really smart right like the way that he goes about it is extremely, yeah, is extremely smart. I was actually surprised at how many times he got knocked on his ass. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Keeps you rooting for him, you know? He's yeah. still, in a way, the underdog, because even mm-hmm. though he's this total badass, like, he's going up against everyone on yeah, this Yeah, the cards planet, are definitely basically. stacked right.
1: against him at this point. And, and the use of that yeah. uh, the whistling birds was really cool in that scene where the stormtroopers had him surrounded. Oh,
0: yeah, right. that's great. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. So... Okay, so we've clearly established uh how he's a, a wonderful badass and we're rooting for him. Would that make him a good ass? <laughs> a good ass. A yeah. Ass. yeah. <laughs> so so a the scene ass. where uh he, you know, he comes out into the street and all the bounty hunters are out there and first they're like, you know, if if you care about the kid, you know, put him down and we'll talk about it. I mean, he realizes that they're full of it, you know, and they're not going to Uh, Let him get out of there. So he just dives behind the, you know, the droid cart and starts shooting. And of course, we get to see him use that disintegration rifle or whatever it's called. Yeah, I think it's sweet. It's like a confetti cannon. It was. It's interesting because, like, until like he disintegrates like three people, and then everybody kind of takes a step back. Was like, all right, wait, uh, maybe we can talk for a second. It's a very impressive (laughs) weapon. There, as we hide behind the corner. Yeah, (laughs) but like it. I think it was the greatest moment of that episode when. It seems like, you know, it's darkest times, all is lost. And then all of his buddies just like jetpack up over the arch or whatever and get into the fight. And that was just such a rallying moment. And I don't know why I didn't see that coming. Because, like, thinking about, thinking it like, if you think about each episode as like a Western, that's like what would happen. I think that the show just does such a great job of holding me in the moment. Like I'm very invested in the show. Uh, I really love this show, as I made clear. I think on our first episode when I gave it like a twelve out of ten. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, um, God, it just it, it was like it was just such a great. It's interesting because that scene in the armory where everybody was so unhappy with him right right like yeah they accepted him in the end they're like okay well you follow but he the was code supporting like the, the rest Empire of us and
2: working for them and then they got into the a fight with the, him and that big guy
0: yeah but like you know once he did the right thing and they recognize that and they realize is like okay well look you know that may go against the guild's code or whatever but we have our own way and this is the way right and I, they even said that to him, like as he was, uh, like right before he escaped, right, right. when they mm-hmm. when they allowed him to escape, they like the big guy who got into the fight with them gave him the nod. Who was, <laughs> you know? who was that yeah. guy? Was uh, <laughs> actually,
1: actually John Favreau. What?
0: Yeah, was that, was, it John that was his. Uh, That's his awesome.
1: Voice. Not his uh, body, but.
0: Oh, I was going to say, he's oh, okay, a lot taller okay. than I, I was going to say, he's uh, he's put on some muscle and... Uh, <laughs>
2: he put on since... some height since he was in the nah, show. No, his
1: voice.
0: No, he's a pretty tall guy, actually, isn't he? Is he? Yeah, he's a pretty yeah. tall guy. A- anyway. Yeah.
2: He just looks like gravity would have more of an effect <laughs> on him. Speaking of that big guy, before we go on, that scene was cool in the armory when they were fighting, and that's kind of what led you to believe, you know, they were not coming, and then they finally do, and when they're supporting him in that battle. Uh, just before that, my son was like, it'd be cool if he had a Gatling gun. I was like, I don't think those exist in the Star Wars universe. And then suddenly they come flying over the hill in the Duh. gods. And he's like... <laughs> and he was like... Ah! And then they he made the comment like, now we're going to have to relocate. I can't remember what yeah. he called it. So basically, they're willing to stand up for him, even though it means they're exactly. all going to have to leave the city and go find a new... Uh, place to Yeah, because form this the is guilt. the way,
0: you know. Yeah. So well, that's, see, what you said is so right on, because that scene at the armorer, right, when he brings the Beskar back, and she forges his breastplate, but they have that conversation, and there's a little bit of that unrest where the guy, like, gets into the fight with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so great, because not only does it, um, you know, make you feel like they're not happy with him, but it also, at the same time, really does it's a clue that they are going to show up and support him when he does turn against the Empire because they hate the Empire, right? right? they hate enemy. the Empire. Like on one hand, he got the most valuable bounty that probably any of them, any of them have ever gotten in their lives. Right? None of them were shiny. And it's as he also was. and it's also that Beskar steel that had been taken from their people by the by the Empire, right? Mm-hmm. So on one hand, it's like, well, you got that stuff back, but you did, you know, serve up you know, this little child to the Empire who's evil. So I think that it does both of those things, that scene. And I I really love how it really seems like this armorer is their leader. And so one of the things that I'm really loving about this show is, like, we just get little dribs and drabs of information about the Mandalorians and their, like, culture and this, like, warrior's... Like way that they have Mm -hmm. um like every episode we just get like a little bit of it and i think this episode it was that scene at the armorer and then when they when they show up uh, to help him and i I just really love that
2: they're also telling us more about uh the great purge i would assume because every time she's forging him a new piece uh, that's when we get the cut scenes for some reason to the last episode yeah. or second to last episode of game of thrones where daenerys is coming through and destroying the city <laughs> on her dragon and all the kids and parents are running through screaming through the streets i don't know the connection between the two universes but that's sweet but yeah they're just giving <laughs> us little peeks
0: well i think um at his yeah past. i mean those are the flashbacks of his past and i think it, it probably is uh, it definitely is appropriate to put him there because like when he's back at quote unquote home at that base with the armorer mm-hmm that's when he's sort of reflecting on his past and i think that that also sur- the the storytelling is just so dense and so economical because look that scene at the armorer right not only do you have all that stuff going on that we just talked about in terms of them hating the empire and being mad at him but then they all fall the same way so they have solidarity then you have those flashbacks because you know she's forging this armor for him which kind of represents you know, when he was taken in by the Mandalorians and raised according to their way, which includes the helmet and like all this other armor, right? And so it's it's also doing that, but it's like showing, I, th- I think it was a way to sh- to illustrate how he was feeling about what he had just done. And in a way, like at least in my mind, it's like he's comparing his own story to that of this little baby Yoda that he just gave up to the Empire. Like, could you imagine if, Somebody had done that to him when he was a little right. helpless kid, right? And so I think that was just part of his journey to like making that decision. Yeah, that, that's oh, why he that's why he turned it. around and went back, right? So, I mean, there's many there's many steps on his way to that decision, right? But that was that was a big part of it. And of course, like right before he was thinking about that, having that flashback, they were bringing up how he was, you know, he was an a hole for working with the Empire, right? So. Right. It's all such great storytelling in this show. I'm t- I'm telling you, it, it's so it's so good. So, so now we have to talk about Doctor Pershing, and Doctor Pershing is played by I love this actor, uh, Omid Abtahi, and and you've seen him in a million things. The and Cammy, you were the first person to bring this up when we were talking off off uh, off recording, right? Yeah. So, the emblem on his shoulder like the patch on his shoulder is the same symbol from the clone labs on Kamino from the prequel Star Wars movies. Yes, yes. Right when uh when Obi-Wan shows up on Kamino yes. and and talks to those really tall long long necked guys uh and like if you go online and and you look at they, there's articles with screenshots right of you know from this episode and from the old mo- the older movies and It's the same symbol so what that's what that suggests obviously is that dr pershing has something to do with these cloning labs and that seems to imply that baby yoda is either a clone or they want to use his genetic material and they even make a reference to the material or the sample or something in the episode to make clones or to be used in the process of cloning in some right. way right and so that's yeah, huge. Oh yeah i mean that's huge and i i had some you know suspicions before i noticed the whole uh you know the camino oh, i mean there's thing. only two
1: options either he was naturally biologically created or he could be a clone or involved in cloning somehow so everybody's already right. talking about it but having this emblem is definitely opening that door a little wider for sure
2: yeah, it's like my great grandfather cloned a
0: whole army.
2: You know, so it's like you know, it's got to be involved.
0: And so interestingly, though, if you're talking about Django Fett, who was the father slash cloning material for Boba Fett, mm-hmm. um, I, I was doing some research uh, this past week, and actually, Django Fett was not a true Mandalorian. Right. Um, he just used Mandalorian armor. That's what armor. I heard too. And George Lucas, uh, George Lucas even said that. I said what? I've heard the same. Yeah, yeah, he was ju- and he even says in the prequel when uh, he runs into uh, Obi Wan, he says, "I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the galaxy." Um, <laughs> so you know, maybe he stole the Mandalorian armor at some point, or you know, whatever happened. But supposedly, he's not—he's not truly a Mandalorian. Uh, I'm just, just a dude would... playing a
2: dude playing another dude.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, but Cami, what do you? What's your interpretation? What do you think? Uh, is going on with the fact that Dr. Pershing is involved with the Camino cloning labs in some way and Yoda Baby's involvement. What's what's your thoughts well, on
1: this? Well, uh, I think definitely, even from the very beginning, when you see him, he seems very invested in the baby and the child. Like, he doesn't want it to be harmed. Um, when the client first said, you know, bring it back, dead or alive, and the scientist was like, no, 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 no. Um, that's what we discussed. We want it to be alive. So from the very beginning, he has, uh, like... It, like a lot of investment in him and, and perhaps that's because he finds it to be very interesting or he would like to study or experiment with you know baby Yodi's little uh, DNA or something like that or perhaps because he maybe played a part in creating uh, this creature so um, it's it's definite to me that this guy this doctor is not a, a bad guy per se he's just uh, wrapped up in some bad business and um, I would love to see him come back in, in other episodes. I think that it was uh, very cool that they left him alive, and I think hopefully that means he's going to come yeah. back and we're going to hear more about this.
0: Yeah, and he was obviously, uh, you know, it's, he seemed to have a lot of compassion for yeah. the child, mm-hmm. and he, he did say, and I believe when he said uh, that he's the only reason the child was still so, alive, yeah. like right. he protected him. I believe that from his all performance and everything. Well, the Mandalorian so believed
1: it too, so because he left him alive.
0: <laughs> right, right. So, Jess, what's your interpretation of this uh this quinky Dink? Kawinki Dink? Yeah, I, I
2: think it totally makes sense that. Because there's that scene where <clears throat> after Mondo goes back to uh, murder everyone, uh, he zooms in with his, his rifle there and, you know, adjusts his helmet, and you can hear uh, Pershing and uh, the other guy, played by Werner Herzog. Um, they're, He's talking about just extracting materials, and I think it's, it's kind of weird. One thing that struck me while watching this episode is no one has looked at Baby Yoda and made any mention of the fact that it's a Baby Yoda, whereas just a few years back, you know, all the stuff that took place was kind of started by all the uh, Jedis trained by a Yoda. And here we do have a... 50-year-old infant who is already as strong as Luke Skywalker, you know, was during... Debatable. Yeah. I mean, he
0: lifted that thing. Yeah. Which for a... Which could mean that he was stronger than Luke Skywalker pre-Yoda training. Right. But like when when
2: they were on Dagobah and he pulls the X-Wing up out of the swamp. I mean, we're talking about that sort of power. Oh, yeah. With an infant with... Obviously, no training. So, does the
0: Force, perhaps? Obviously, no training. Well, I beg to differ. Allegedly. I beg to differ. He is fifty years old. Do you think his parents just set him in a crib for fifty years? And uh, apparently, because you know, he's never left it,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and he eats everything he can reach. But I think, I think they're going to explore more of the fact that maybe uh, the Yoda breed doesn't have to learn the Force as much as you know they're born with yeah. it.
0: I mean, I think it's clear that, you know, the Yoda species seems to have uh, a very strong connection with the Force innately, but I don't think we can say for certain that, you know, yeah. he had no training or, you know, orientation okay, well, yeah, to the Force at all. I, it is, I mean, there's... if it is actually 50 years old. <laughs> right.
2: Unless it is possibly a clone of Yoda, and maybe there's something in that race that does, like, exude the Force naturally and that's maybe what they're trying to do extract what we need from the baby we can clone more yeah. and they want to start their own yeah.
0: little baby yoda army so so here's here's my i have a bold uh prediction a what bold this is all statement about. yes so and this also ties into uh rise of skywalker as a matter of fact uh, which will be coming out uh in just under a month so potential spoilers for that movie, too. Just get it out Baby Yoda is Rey and Kylo's son. I'm not suggesting that this show is going to cross over with the new movie, per se. But the stuff, like the, the trailers for the new movie uh, indicate that <laughs> Emperor Palpatine will be in it, right? Mm-hmm. And in a lot of the extended lore, a lot of which is, you know, the Legends now and not necessarily canon, but he was big with cloning. And it's also uh, known, I guess, that it could be really difficult to produce a clone that is Force-sensitive. Right. And so my bold prediction is they somehow got a hold of this Yoda baby that is not a clone. And knowing that it has a strong connection to the Force and that this species apparently has an innate, very, very strong connection with the Force, they're trying to figure out how to duplicate that. In clones, right? And so, if the Emperor is trying to create a clone for himself that he can like transfer himself into or something, his mind into, so that he can live longer, live forever, because you know, there's that whole subplot in the prequel movies where he's talking about Dark Plagueis to Anakin Skywalker and about how, you know, that Sith Lord found a way to cheat death. And I think, I think Darth Plagueis was. The master of Palpatine if I'm not if I'm not mistaken uh, in the lore yeah I'm not as first so what this whole house of cards is suggesting to me uh, in my bold prediction is that yes the Emperor is working on some cloning experiments and these remaining you know remnants loyalists of the Empire are involved in that effort Through the use of this baby and trying to determine its genetic secrets and connection to the force uh, in service of the Emperor that is my uh, current conspiracy theory for what's going on with the baby Yoda and this clone labs uh, Symbol on Dr. Pershing's shoulder
2: uh, very uncharacteristic of one of your uh,
0: stature right, okay werner thank you well, reputation <laughs> Mr I mean. client no, but what do you what do you guys think about that? do you think that that's uh possible it certainly could be I mean there's a lot going on there 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 is cam Cammy. what do you think is this too i mean I, th- no, 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 much? I think
1: that, it, that that at least it would connect the dots between I think of course I even mean, all the all the great Star Wars shows are all connected somehow you're going to see threads and similarities and all the good ones anyways. Yeah.
0: And, and it would be a, a, a nice way to sort of interconnect yeah, the show for, with for the, sure. Kind of the right. for sure. For sure, like this again, is connected. I, guess.
1: We're, I mean, we're seeing connections now between Mandalorian and other shows and why not connect Mandalorian to the next one as well? And this would well, be see, a good yeah. um, connection to make.
0: Well, talk about cross promotions.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's why just just popped in my head. It's like, you know, this isn't a galaxy far, far away. Long ago oh, in a time yeah. far, far away. And it's good that it's in a galaxy and not like 14 different galaxies. Like all of the Star Wars shows all take place within one little corner of space rather than, oh, this show takes place way over there where they yeah. never came in Because Because I would
0: define a galaxy as a small corner. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But it's just one galaxy <laughs> just and not
2: plain. this is oh, a different one. No, I know between so, yeah. So it's nice that, you know, we had the movies that came out 40 years ago when Mm -hmm. we were little baby yodas just learning how to use the force so to speak (laughs) and there since then there's been a billion books and shows and stuff so it's cool to learn constantly
0: learn more and more about this whole galaxy you know what i'm saying It, it is yeah so i you know i would say you know, my final thoughts on this episode are basically they hit another one out of the park. Yeah, it was great. I mean, there has not been an episode I've seen yet that I was disappointed in. They're doing consistently exceptional work with this show, and uh, and I love it. I love it. I, I I don't want to be like a shill for Star Wars, but I'm telling you, this is like the best Star Wars content that's that's come out. Yeah, in it, a it's long
1: uniting time. a lot of fans across the fan base. I think we're just hearing
0: and that's yeah, a good it's, thing. It's like I think. You,
1: you always have the prequel cool people and the the original trilogy and and, and they they kind of always are at odds with each other. And I think this is like bringing every, all the Star Wars fans together. Everybody loves it. And even more than that, people who aren't crazy about Star Wars love it too. So everybody is just loving this show. I think this one is the best one so far. This episode was fantastic
0: yeah and to to be clear, you know whichever piece of Star Wars is your favorite i I think that's great. I'm just saying for me, this is one of my favorites um jess what would you what would your uh final thoughts uh briefly be on this so we can go to the next episode?
2: I totally agree with both of you, and like you mentioned earlier, when you saw the first episode, you gave it a twelve out of ten. I think I gave it an eight point five and you were kind of taken aback and <laughs> was I? Uh, from well, like, no and <laughs> After episode two and episode three, it just keeps getting better, and mm-hmm. uh, I my my score for the show overall is climbing
0: oh.
2: from that eight point five, and hopefully 8. something 7. doesn't happen in episode four that changes that for me. Hmm. Uh, but we can talk about that.
0: Yeah. So uh, with that said, we're also going to talk about uh, the Mandalorian episode four, Sanctuary. What? So let's get right into it, okay? So this was the episode where he has got the baby Yoda now. We it Which he acquired uh, after all that uh, that we talked about in the previous episode. And uh, they're looking for sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he decides to go to a planet that's like in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, uh, where nobody will ever find them. And of course, as soon as he says those words, <laughs> I was like, yeah, somebody's going to find them. <laughs> right. But, uh... <laughs> But, you know, the the whole episode, again, I, I, I keep coming back to this, but, like, it reminds me so much of a Western, like the gunslinger passing through, like, you know, now he's got the kid that he's protecting, so he's trying to find a place to hide out for a little bit, and, you know, it's very tempting to stay there in the idyllic, you know, there's a woman that he can, like, respect and, you know, who's attracted to him, where he could, you know, you could see a, a, a universe where, like, he could settle down there, right, but yet... He's got to hold to the way, and he's got to keep protecting the kid and move on. So in that sense, it felt very much like a, uh, again, like a Western to me. And um, I want to talk about the characters in this episode, because I thought we got to meet some new characters who were just really great characters. I mean, obviously really well-performed. They're casting the show so well. So I'm talking specifically about Cara Dune, who was played by Gina Carano, uh, Mm. who was the the ex-rebellion shock trooper who he finds there, right? And then what was the other woman's name, Cammie? Uh, uh, the character's name? O'Mara. Julia Jones. Played by Julia Jones. Okay. And I thought both of those uh, were really great roles. I mean, they weren't simply, you know, like the damsel in distress or simply... Like, the love interest or something like that. I mean, there were some sparks between Omera and The Mandalorian. But that's not all that character was. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, she
0: definitely... And then with Gina Carano's character, uh, Cara Dune, like, okay, yeah, the the actress, she's a former MMA fighter. She's a handsome woman. She is a (laughs) handsome woman. But one of the things that I loved... about her character and and you get to see it so much in that fight scene where she attacks him like right after uh he gets to town it's like that did not look like a stunt double and the way it was shot oh. like it just i really felt like that was her and she truly was yeah
1: she, d- she definitely right? did her own stunts in this for sure
0: i mean this was not you know a young woman in a transformers movie running away from explosions and heels for two <laughs> right. hours
2: with thumb toes or toe thumbs or yeah toe i thumbs. mean
0: so so first let's uh, cammy like what are your thoughts on these characters in the movie and how do you feel about it as a woman and i mean that sincerely like like is there a difference in the way this show in this episode went about giving us like major like supporting women characters that you don't see in other shows or is it pretty much the same to you i'm really uh, curious well, uh
1: when they showed the uh you know um i heard uh, uh some uh, a vlogger say today that uh this uh this whole mandalorian is like a a galactic bar crawl because there's so many cantina uh <laughs> there's a <laughs> yeah. lot of which
0: again the western thing <laughs> the bar so
1: um but you know where she's sitting in the shadows and she's obviously Going to have some role in the episode, as you see her sitting there, Mm -hmm. back in the corner in her booth, and um, he notes her, and I kind of did an inward groan, and I was like, oh, are they going to, like, make some sort of, like, you know, (laughs) connection between the hottie and the midriffy top and whatever, and... um,
0: No Did, was she showing her No, I don't in that? know.
1: I was making speculation because she was obviously. Oh, okay. <laughs> she just uh, she just imagined it.
2: and Now I'm imagining it too. <laughs>
1: now everyone's imagining it. Yeah, no. Um, uh, well, obviously she's you know she's she's a very attractive woman. So I was like, oh, here we go. You know, thinking that this is about mm-hmm. to happen. And of course, you know, she proves to be a formidable, you know, uh, you know com- opponent when they're kind of grappling and fighting for whatever known reason they're actually fighting over. Um, she obviously thinks that he has a bounty for her. And, um, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, that pans out. And I, l- I love how their fight ends. And he's like, hey, uh, you want some uh, soup? Or? <laughs> yeah,
0: that was great. <laughs> and,
1: um, and then, like, you know, decides yeah. that they have to leave based on that. And and so the interaction, you know, kind of peaked. And then it sort of fell flat. And he's like, okay, let's go. And I'm like, really? Is that going to be it? And And then he revisits her. And I think the cool part is, is that... Uh, what happened was that did not turn even remotely romantic, but he really looks at her as a peer. And uh, as, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not right. just somebody to, you know... I mean, I guess there was probably no other formidable people to ask for help from, but he, he did seek her out when he needed help, when he wanted to go off with the farmers.
0: Now, is that the part that feels different to you about this show in terms of, like, how it might be different from yeah, other shows? Yeah, yeah, right.
1: At that, that point mm-hmm. there, I, I did uh, think of it a little differently because... Uh, um, she was more like, you know, not to be stereotypical because women have beauty that runs a spectrum and, uh, and, uh, but she is just more your commonly, you know, attractive woman and, and,
2: uh, well, more of the broad
0: shoulders. She end really is. Spectrum.
1: Her arms are like enormous, but, um, well, she's no, built. She's, I mean,
0: she's, <laughs> she's tough. You can tell it by looking at and It's also the way she stands too. Yeah, well, you
2: know you what? Know? and sometimes like a, real quick, I almost didn't recognize her. Until I googled her, I'm like, is that the girl from Deadpool? Yeah, she's yeah. Typically... and Because she actually looks smaller than she did in Deadpool. Like, in Deadpool, I remember her being bigger. And she actually looks smaller now. I don't know, maybe uh, Mandalorian's
0: larger maybe, than uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, is Pedro Pascal, like, really tall? Yeah, I think he is. I don't know. I think he's very tall. <laughs> well, he's the Red yeah. Viper from... Game of Thrones.
1: That's, that's true. He is that too.
0: Yeah, I think he is so, really um, tall, actually.
1: Yeah. So I, I really, but, yeah. I, I, I liked Sorry her. I thought she was good. I I mean, I'm kind of like over her, the 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 tough girl act a little bit, but um, I think it softened up <laughs> a little as uh, she moved mm-hmm. forward. Um, I think she was even debating to stay in that little town. Uh, you know, right. I think she was kind of feeling that, that she'd like to stay there for a little bit. Um
2: I'm not sure if she was really debating it or if she was trying to talk Mondo into it. Cause she's like, you could stay here with
0: this beautiful woman. You could raise your child, your child could well, have a child. I father. think she was really in a way speaking her own thoughts yeah. on the matter, but kind of projecting them onto him. At least that's what I got out of it. I, I don't think that she was considering it as seriously as, as the Mandalorian. I really don't, but I, it felt like she saw the appeal yeah, of it. Yeah, you definitely did. Me. She
1: was leaning against right? the uh, hut, having her beverage of choice, and she was like, man, you can have a pretty uh, nice life here with that with that uh, woman and, you know, raise your baby here. And Well,
2: yeah, because after they had their first fight at the other bar, um, you know, they were outside duking it out, rolling around, punching each other in the face, and then Baby Yoda's sitting there... St- you know, calmly sipping tea, watching them. Um, He's the one that actually kind of recruited her into going help the other people. She was, I think I remember she was kind of against it, but then he talked her into it saying, look, you know, you want some isolation. You want solitude. This is far
0: away from here. Because that was... Rando village woman seems hot for you. Like, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The kids like baby Yoda, you know? well,
2: Well, he kind of talked her into going there and
0: then she kind of tried to talk him into staying there. And they really set her up i think as a character uh not not um gina carano but uh julia jones's character omira um they really set her up as you know not necessarily like an equal to the mandalorian in terms of combat but like someone she was still a basic krill farmer well there was chemistry between them you could tell that and and not only that but like he could respect her because she had a certain gravitas and she's, it seemed like she had seen stuff. And also, she could shoot a gun. I mean, like, the other right. villagers are, like, shooting, like, the grass and, like, you know, up into the sky. Yeah. And she's just, she hits that, like, pot hanging from the tree, like, 20 times in a row. Yeah. Pew, 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 <laughs> pew, You know? and And so it really felt like they were setting it up so that it would have been a legitimate choice he could have made and not just, like, something... That felt inorganic just to service some predetermined plot. You yeah, know what I yeah, mean? Like it could have sure. easily have been in a lesser show. Like her character could have had no depth. She could have just been like a pretty woman that like you know fluttered her eyes at him once or something. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Yeah, like I, they re- they they really uh, set the story in a way that that made it seem like he could it. L- he he at least could make that decision, and you would believe it if he did. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: One of the things about the the community there, um, they never really established that there was someone in charge, you know, at all. It's just like in the the first time we meet them, they get attacked by the orcs from M- Morgul, M- Mordor. <laughs> they come through the woods, and uh, you know she hides with her daughter under the basket in the river there. But then the next time we meet them is after those two guys come. Recruit the Mandalorian, go back to rescue everybody with the hot, tough girl in tow. And no one's ever really established as a leader, but I think by the end of the episode, it's almost like Omera kind of showed herself as, you know, capable enough to possibly take up that mantle, possibly. I don't know, they they never really touched on that.
1: That's true, they didn't
2: and i would assume like almost all of these shows where there's a little community there's always someone in charge who has to come up and butt heads against the tough stranger you know and there was none of that
0: yeah well they could be they could have a council they could have a like govern as like a commune right. we don't know i just don't think it was really important to the story so they didn't need to get right. into that but i mean um she definitely uh i think has the chops to be a leader there and i'm um, you know she's uh you know i'm sure people look to her um For leadership, well, she was kind of acting as a leader because remember when those two knuckleheads were like still standing around after the attack started, she was like, "Get in there," Um, and they did. She's she's pretty tough for a kindergarten teacher, I'll tell you (laughs) that. Right, right. So, but this so this leads into the conversation I wanted to have because, like I mentioned earlier, it feels like every episode we get little tidbits of you know the Mandalorian culture and like what their, uh, you know, practices are and, and how they operate. And like, so there was that scene where she asks him, she's like, when's the last time you took off yesterday. your helmet? <clears throat> he's like, y- yesterday. <laughs> and she's like, eh, good, good, good try, buddy. Uh, I mean, you know, in front of other people. And the fact that he opens up to her in that scene, I think is a real testament to the chemistry between them that was still in very early stages, but, like, I think he saw something in her, and she did have sort of this gravitas, like, this, like, this magnetic pull for him, right? So he he talked to her about how uh, he was a foundling, and the Mandalorians took him in, and he follows the way, and, you know, he hasn't taken off his... Helmet since he was about those kids Age right right and um, And then of course later So that's all really interesting about The Mandalorian stuff like I You know maybe that information is out There in like some Star Wars You know novels that I never read Or you know I haven't watched every episode Of Clone Wars and stuff like that but I find that really interesting and I like how this picture Of the Mandalorians and About this particular Mandalorian is just like coming out more and more we're slowly like getting a better idea of who he is and where he comes from and you know how he's been shaped through his life and i just find that really interesting but that also you know sets up this trajectory of their relationship where it's like there is that chemistry and of course there's that scene When she's actually asking him to stay, like he wants to talk to her because he's asking her if he can, he wants to leave the baby there. Yeah. Right. Which I
1: thought was weird because he's like, they're going to come back. Why would he, he needed to leave because they're going to come again because now we've created noise. Sorry. I just was thinking uh, this uh, today. I was talking to my husband about it. I'm like, why would he want to leave the baby there by himself if he knew that people were coming back? Why wouldn't he want to take the baby Yoda with him?
0: I think you know. I mean, that's a good question, but I think in that moment he was just thinking about the fact that he's a Mandalorian bounty hunter who has no business carrying a baby around with right, him.
2: Right, and all he's gonna do <laughs> is go fly over here, uh, shoot, get shot at, blow up yeah. a bunch of stuff, and
0: whereas this is a community where everybody seems to already love the little baby, and the yeah, and there's tons of children there already. Yeah, and so you know that's what I got out of it, but at least at least two tons worth of children. You know, there was that moment where of decision for him, where she goes to take off his helmet. And if you noticed, I'm sure you did, he did not pull her arms down right away. That was like a long drawn out moment where she put right. her hands on the sides of his helmet and she slowly started lift and of course it was that moment when the sniper was was you know aiming down the sights and saw that whole happen and then, you know, put the little crosshairs on the Yoda mm-hmm. baby. And uh, of course, so that was like raising the tension through uh, a different kind of tension through that whole scene. But like, if you notice, you know, it didn't, there was that sound that drew his attention, which ended up being um, Cara Dune shooting the sniper before he could take the shot, right? But they build it up to make you think that- But if you notice that didn't stop the, like that didn't happen before the Mandalorian made his decision to leave, right? Right. like he he pulled the helmet back down and you know he was probably about to say something and then boom in the distance and that you know got their attention yeah i also noticed too
2: that for a guy that wants to make sure no one ever sees his face and has never taken his helmet off for anyone he doesn't have a damn strap on that no chin strap to hold that <laughs> helmet safely on Well, his you don't head. know that you saw her just lifting it up. Well, you know, you know if you had and read was, more Star Wars lore,
0: you would know fun. that Mandalorians keep skull magnets on yeah, top of what, their right. helmet Figured. so that they skull don't knives. fall off. I just made that up. I, it's, it's, it, he's got a grill in his mouth, so I just the magnets up.
2: there. <laughs> but um, And one thing, too, about that sniper, the sniper went for the bounty first and
0: not the uh, strongest point of opposition. You well, know? yeah. I mean, his bounty was to kill the uh, to kill the Yoda baby and probably bring back some type of proof. I'm assuming well, that's what the bounty you know the bounty is because that's after what- that
2: all you're gonna do is enrage M- Mondo and he's gonna go all <laughs> Hulk on you, Hulk smash.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? You know, sort of relationship between him and this woman, and uh, do you have anything to add to the, all that stuff that I was ah. just saying, uh, Cammy, you- and then Jess,
1: Jess. <laughs> Are you waiting
2: for me? Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Like I mentioned when we were finishing up on episode three, I was like, I sure hope there's nothing in episode four that's going to bring that score of the overall show down a bit for me. And it was literally his relationship with O'Mara. I you had the same reaction that Cami mentioned when she saw the when she saw Cara Dune in the bar, she's like, rolls her eyes, here we go. Mm-hmm. Well, I got that exact feeling when I logged on to Disney Plus and scrolled over to episode four, and the little screenshot they have for the episode shows uh, some female there. And I turned to my son and said, oh, great, now there's a girl there, and they're going to be all <laughs> smoochy-poochy <laughs> and booby juopy, and it's going to get but stupid. They weren't. But then again, it kind of was with another girl, and I—that's what's pulling me back right now with this episode. This is my least favorite episode of the four. Oh, okay, because you dislike the romance. Well, there's no need for it, and <laughs> uh, this is kind of part of my finishing thoughts for the episode. I can hold mm-hmm. off on this till the end, but I just think after the first three episodes, they're establishing, you know how badass, sweet-ass, kick-ass, whatever-ass you want Mando to be, um, I don't think it needs to turn into a possible romance by the end. I, I just think it's kind of moving a little Even too Even though fast. he
0: rejected it?
2: Well, he did reject it, but barely, it seems. He was almost, hmm, you drive a hard
0: bargain, Miss O'Mara. Um, well, look, I'm just... So, this is real interesting because... So every episode, he's got to make—I mean, this is what good stories do, but every episode, he's got to make really important decisions about what he's going to do and who he's going to help and and all of this stuff. And I think what we're finding is that since the beginning of the show—and there's only been four episodes so far—but like since the beginning of the show, he's slowly like making these difficult decisions uh, to—they're moral decisions. they're they're ethical decisions so you know first he um he does make a bad decision maybe in like taking the job and handing over the kid but like ever since then he saves the kid well yeah it's like ever it's like he found uh the
2: baby at the end of the first episode and shortly after that came to christ
0: well wait you know yeah but go ahead but look so (laughs) when he ultimately decides not to stay that is him making the moral choice making a moral judgment because He knows that a, you know, he, at least he feels he's not going to fit in there, but it's really about keeping the people of the village safe because he knows that the empire is just going to keep coming after this Yoda baby and they will wipe them all out. Oh yeah. Right. And he takes the baby with him because he literally still has to protect the baby because, you know, those village folk aren't going to be able to like stand up to the empire if they come with like more, you know, ships and You know stormtroopers or whatever they're going to bring or however many bounty hunters they're going to send it's just untenable so even though he was tempted by this simpler life where you know he could have all these great things and the kid you know could in theory grow up you know in a nice you know place
2: in a nice gated community
0: he makes the harder decision to you know continue following his way and to take the kid with him. So I just feel like... That makes
1: it a better story. I mean, um, because, you know, no one's immune from... No one human is immune from the full spectrum of being human. Weaknesses and conflicts and all the things (laughs) that that play a part in being human. Uh, Or Mandalore, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. And that's such a great
0: point, because especially since we cannot see his face, we need those things to to make him more human for yeah. us i think yeah, and
1: i think that it doesn't right? detract from it. i don't think that the romance detracts uh, or the the speculation of romance or the fact that he
0: and i also don't think they took it in they a really didn't direction either, i mean right?
1: i think that in in the same way they they portrayed uh the uh, shock trooper uh they gave um the somera character um I, I know it gives you pause I mean you have to wonder like you know what has she been through you know that maybe perhaps she mm-hmm. wasn't one of the original people that have been there but she did seem very uh, brave she didn't flinch she was quick on her feet she was able to hide fast um, part of me wonders like mm-hmm. what reason might he ever have to go back to that area or what reason might they ever encounter each other right. I mean you have to ask why the ATST was there to begin with I mean how did this like small troop of
0: well, my assumption is that, you know, the Empire used to have an outpost on this planet. So they, like, controlled the planet, and then the Empire fell. And, well, I mean, you know, he went to this planet and...
1: because there was no starport there. There was no large
0: right.
2: uh,
1: population.
0: Right. I think it was, it was probably, like, a pirated... Uh, yeah, I mean like, it could have been that too, you know. Um like when the empire fell, other, like there's probably the a lot of pirate activity like, you know, yeah. scavenging stuff. So it could could have been a lot of things. So but but last thing real, on this. Well, real the... real quick while we're on the ATST. <laughs> um cuz I realized something watching this episode that really blew my mind. Like I said, I'm not Before super... before we get to the ATST and the battle, I just okay. have one last thing about this whole thing we're talking about with the Mandalorian and this woman, which is there was a scene that we have not mentioned yet where he does take off he his helmet. He does take off now, his helmet. Now, we don't see his face, but I think and that that is... supposedly no one else does. Yeah, well, he's, it's clear that he's about to eat and he's watching, like, the children play outside. And I. It, that scene is so important. I, I Like, I don't think that this episode would be quite as powerful without that little tiny, like, moment where he takes off his helmet because it just feels like he's thinking about what it would be like to stay. I didn't like it.
1: (laughs) Anything that shows his humanness. I mean, he's vulnerable. He's taking off his helmet. He's having a meal. He's eating, watching children play. He might love somebody. This makes him, this makes him all the more a badass because he can have those things and have the other things too.
2: Mm. It's part I mean, everyone in the guild, all the other quote unquote guild members never take their mask off. It's never been taken off by them for someone else. It's never been removed by anyone else. And that's still, he's just, again, sinning and going against everything. And I really don't think the first time he's going to take off his mask and or his helmet and set it on the windowsill like Grandma's apple I the think pie they take it off to eat. In front of a kindergarten. Well, yeah, in front of a kindergarten with the window
1: well, open. Well, no one was looking at him.
2: That's a little silly. That's a little silly, I think. Disagree. Disagree. And also, a uh, little flashback to when he stabbed the mudhorn in the head with a butter knife and killed uh-huh. it in two seconds. Yeah, Didn't okay. like that either. There's a Nutted. flashback to he's making a yeah. flashback. It just happened in your brain because I said it. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I, I like... I know we're going to see his face by the end of the show and we all know in the very last episode he's going to retire to that planet to
0: be with that woman. They're going to No, I don't think we know that. Raise... I... I know it. In fact, I'll bet and you five bucks five right now dollars. that that is not what happens at the end of the show. This I'll bet This podcast you.
2: might make... Let's make, let's make it interesting. Let's make it 10 bucks.
0: <laughs> Are you going to take that? Uh, uh, I'm going to bow out. That's too rich Oh, for okay. Me. Too rich for your blood. Okay. I got it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like, I think let's get to the battle, right? Because again, one of these decisions is that he decides to help the entire village, you know, defend their village. Because first he comes out, and that was great when he's like, bad news, you're all going to have to leave. Um, <laughs> and that was, uh, that was great. But, of course, they do bring him around to uh, helping them actually fight, right? When they're just, you know, hapless villagers. And uh, that was really, you know, I love those, like, montage sequences where people are, like, preparing for a battle and, like, setting (laughs) the traps and stuff. I always love that in a movie or a show. Yeah, it's like Um, my
2: son, regarding that scene, he's like, like they got that good in one
0: day. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they stretched that out over, like, maybe a week. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, like, even if, even though I'm sure you're right, and they did stretch it out, like there's they weren't that good. Right. <laughs> it was mostly the Mandalorian and uh, Cara Dune. <laughs> it right. was... And her, her part in that battle
2: was pretty awesome because the whole plan oh, originally, the whole plan fell short because the mm. ATST didn't react the way they were planning on it. Oh, she was integral react. in that fight.
0: So she's and, the one that turned the whole tide of battle by like saying, I have an idea. And that's the other thing. Like, he didn't just swoop in and save her at the last second. You know right. what I mean? She was integral no, to that No, I thought battle.
2: she, I, for a second, I thought she was going to get wiped out. I yep. mean, that was, that was pretty, that was a great scene they did with her, you know, hiding down in the water, you know, trying to tempt the ATST in. And that's what I, if I could say this real quick, the ATST, I kind of freaked out. In the first scene where uh, they went, was it her and or Mando and Cara Dune went to assault the orcs or whatever, and then the ATST like woke up. That was really and cool. Stood up in the trees with, with its the red eyes light inside. Yeah, that was so sweet. And I was like, under the impression from years of Star Wars, watching the movies over and over, I thought that was a piloted vehicle. It is. I don't. know It seemed know like that it, it was is. maybe a little yeah, sentient it or a is.
1: robot or something. It
2: seemed like it was sentient, and I was actually earlier today. I can't quote it. My mouse just died, but there was something I read that said it was automated. And that's that's the that's the feeling I got when those red eyes lit up and it stood up. That didn't feel to me like it was a piloted vehicle. There's like the, nothing about the, the way it behaved
0: of- <laughs> that 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 means nope. that there was no pilot inside like you're like you're saying it seems sentient dollars. but like is a pilot not sentient <laughs> i'm telling you dude well look if you can find a source that says that atsts are you know on autopilot or They're you know droid some control sort of or security fine, but...
1: option i mean i i I, I I really I'm sorry to say I I kind of a, I agree with Jess on this one a little bit because everybody was partying around the fires they were chilling out and what there was some guy just sitting like ready to go sitting inside the ATST waiting for a villager to come knock on their door I I mean I think that's far fetched I don't think anybody's waiting inside the ATST so the fact that it awakens.
0: You don't think there was time for somebody to climb up into it uh, I prior found, to? I found the page, <laughs> and it's it's
2: not a StarWars.com page. It's from another uh, source, but I'm a little bit ahead, Canon though,
1: But that's I still think it's uh...
2: okay. It's from DenOfGeek.com. Okay. Star Wars Mandalorian Episode Four Review, and they're talking about the scene where they uh, assault the raiders. The raiders themselves aren't very remarkable in a star wars movie the suffering farmers are all human while the raiders are all be are all be okay the raiders are all be dog-like aliens Ooh, they're clatoonians which were first introduced in the return of the jedi it says okay. their most powerful weapon is an automated atst much more frightening here than in the original hmm. trilogy when the ewoks felled some of these two legged walkers
1: so it's just the word automated
2: howard, howard. it might be automated
0: but what's yeah, what's howard. his source den of geek is not associated with the promotion. well no that, that's why i said it's not i mean Star i love Wars those guys plot. but i'm just but, saying that's still speculation now i'm not saying it's a baseless speculation well here
2: the the next sentence is kind of cool because bryce dallas howard who is Ron Howard's daughter? And directed this episode. She's the one that directed this. And the next line is Howard channels her Jurassic World experience yeah. to make the ATST more animalistic and imposing. Okay. So if it is an automated thing, that kind of changes the game. Because I, I always thought the ATSTs and ATATs from the original trilogy were piloted. But they were. what if technology has you know advanced so you could just have a robot that's,
0: army of those oh. things that's even more terrifying well i think it's possible i just don't think the uh, episode gave us enough information either way i'm going to and i don't and it. i don't think it's unreasonable that they would have guards posted in their most powerful weapon that they have i mean right um but uh, again i you know i think that is possible i'm not saying it's not possible
2: so yeah that was that was one of the high points of the episode for me with the atst and the the eventual takedown of it, and it, so yeah, it. It was so creepy when with those red eyes coming through the trees. Oh yeah, like you see the eyes and hear it stomping and crashing, and it looks like it's about to burst through, but it's still you know a couple yeah. steps away. Yeah, that was really cool. And also the scene right after that where it comes through the scene or comes through the trees, stops at the water's edge, and they do that long pan shot of all mm-hmm. the. The villagers on the left side of the screen and the ATST on the right side, and start yeah, shooting cool. at them. That was just a real cool shot. And even my son was like, "Oh, that looks awesome!"
0: It was. There was a lot of. Uh, I was actually kind of impressed with Bryce Dallas Howard's uh, directing skills in this episode, right. um, because I'm not aware of how much directing she's done previously. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but uh, I was I was pleased with it. So um, that that was a great battle, and I love Kara Dune's. You know. You know, uh, it wasn't her last stand, but you know, her She's risky like that. strategy that she employed to get the walker to come forward, that was great.
2: And it could have easily become a martyr sort of thing. You know, well, she sacrifices herself for the better good of everyone else. So that's cool.
0: Cami, any last thoughts about this battle scene before we. Uh, no, move on? I
1: think it was uh, fantastic. It was really good. The, the, the ATSC was the, the the star of that portion of the episode for sure for sure. Oh, for it,
0: sure. That was such a great and I love how they used it. You know, that's just another piece of connective tissue between this show and the movies yeah. that we love, right? Mm-hmm. The whole the, the the larger Star Wars universe or galaxy. Like I just love um cuz it could easily have been some other mechanized thing or tank or something. You know what I mean yeah. that the right. that the raiders had, but I just love that they that they yeah. did that. And it's part of the reason why it still feels very Star Wars. And I love how, because it did look kind of dilapidated. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and for old, sure. You know? yeah, all
1: swampy and whatnot.
0: And so I love how it also very, it like, in a visual way, it says this is stuff from the Empire, and the Empire is not yeah, what it used
1: to be. Yeah, that's true, that's you know? true. It's um, true. Yeah. So
0: I like that. So but before we wrap up with final thoughts, there's one further matter that we have to address in this episode. And it's, it's quite a serious one. Uh, this would be the uh, peer pressure that we witnessed against Baby Yoda when Baby Yoda all he wanted to do was oh. eat that frog. All he wanted to do was eat that frog, and we know that he loves them. But uh, from the you know the first or the second episode, but those uh, those kids they made such uh, you know disgusted faces that he had to spit it out. Yeah, and uh, I for and one it, feel it bad moved. for Baby Yoda.
2: <laughs> See, and that's the thing. I don't want. Just... I it's. I think Yoda should have eaten that frog, and the kids would go. Ew. and they're still friends they're still friends and baby yoda isn't starving
0: what's so wrong with that <laughs> what is so problem? wrong with that yeah, yeah. no that, that was a little tongue-in-cheek there but i it was interesting it was a funny yeah it was pretty moment. funny yeah okay so let's just wrap up with final thoughts um let's go jess and then yeah
2: Tammy. Well, start with me first since i already kind of told you guys uh most of it already uh like i said Episode ended out being good, but there was a couple things in it. I'm not sure. Now, if this was like an hour long per episode, maybe they could explore more of these choices the Mandalorian's making. I just think they're coming a little too fast. It's like, Mm -hmm. in the next episode, he's going to show up in a bar somewhere, and someone's going to be like, here, have some spicy tuna. And he's like, "Mm, hold the spice, please. Because he's (laughs) trying to be a kinder, gentler Mandalorian. No, thank you. So hopefully they turn that around and he becomes more of the kick-ass
0: uh, we've seen in the first three episodes. Mm-hmm. A no more lovey-dovey, kissy-kissy. I, I, so I think what you're saying is your ideal Star Wars show would be about a remorseless serial killer. Uh, who yeah. is uninterested in romance or any human qualities whatsoever. Boba Fett may as well have been asexual because you never saw him and he was a up character. anybody
2: aside. You never saw him eyeing up anybody aside from the target.
0: You don't but see him target. eyeing up anything. Well, He's right. Yeah, if mask. we could see
2: if we could see Mondo's face for all these episodes, all he would be doing is like looking up into the sky, trying to remember his next line. Come on. Oh
0: brother. Such, a little, such little, <laughs> opinion of these actors, yeah. But okay. no,
2: honestly, honestly, that's just that's how I felt watching. It's like I, that, that eye roll that Cammy mm-hmm. you mentioned in the beginning, I got that in the beginning too, and it kind of my eyes rolled once or twice throughout the episode. I'm sure it's going to turn around some ways, but the eye rolling might continue.
0: There Boom, you
2: know. Cammy, what are your final thoughts on this episode? Uh,
1: yeah, I thought it was a great episode. I I love that they are. Um, Bringing more, I mean, I'm going to say humanity, even though I don't know that he's human. I'm just going to speculate that he is. uh, More humanity into the character of the Mandalorian. I like that we're seeing, you know, I like the part where he takes off his helmet to eat. I like the part that he's Mm -hmm. interacting and caring about, uh, you know, the foundlings. And I think it makes him a better anti-hero or hero or whatever you want to call it. I don't think it detracts from it at all. Um, I think it makes Mm -hmm. him more have more depth and more interest. And um, I'm not interested in seeing a romance develop, but I think there's a complex like uh, component that you'd miss out on if he didn't if he was devoid Mm -hmm. of that capability, you know.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to show that he's yeah. conflicted there because he is a real person yeah. with depth, you know. He is a three-dimensional character, and, and so yeah, I like Yeah, I, like I that, did, I did like that, so
1: I'm interested to see where it's, it's going to go. It doesn't have to go all smoochy, smoochy, and romance does not have to be hokey. So um, I didn't think it was that hokey at all. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I liked the battle scene. I think it was, it was good. It wasn't as good as three, but I did like how they expanded his character a little bit. So, yeah, pretty good, pretty good episode.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't have too much more to add. Um, I I really like, you know, like we were talking about, I'd like how we just get a little bit more information about the Mandalorian culture uh, and, you know, his sort of code or way uh, every episode, you know, and I found it so interesting when she asked him, you know, if he could take off his helmet. Uh, or she said something like, you can't take it off. And he said, well, I can take it off whenever I want. I could just never put it back on. Oh, no,
1: that's true. That's true. I forgot he said that line. You know,
0: and I, I find that to be, kind of prophetic, you know, maybe. I, I feel like, well, it may be. I mean, we'll see how the show ends eventually. But I, I just think that it seems to me they have put a lot of thought into this show and this character and what's in his backstory and what's behind it yeah. all. Right. I really feel that coming out of the story. And again, I mean, I I think this is another uh, great episode of a great show. And, you know, maybe at the end of the season, I'll be able to look back on some episodes and have some more, uh, you know, some substantive criticisms about it. But right now, I'm just enjoying the ride. Uh, I love Star Wars. And this show uh, is really giving it to us in the best way. And, uh, you know, I think you made a really good point earlier, Cammy, about how the show seems to be unifying the fan base. And, you know, I think difference of opinion is fine. Uh, I I do hate the more toxic elements of, like, fandom culture. Um, You know, Star Wars, whatever fandom you can name it. It's out there, (laughs) mostly online. But it is nice to have something that everybody loves and can agree on for once. You know, Uh, that feels really nice. So. With that said, I just want to thank everybody for listening uh, and tuning in into this episode of Mecha Dragon. We got more Star Wars episodes coming up for you, as well as some other neat stuff. And uh, I want to thank you again, Cami, for being uh, on the show with us.
1: Absolutely, I was happy to. Yes, Always fun.
0: Yeah. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode and you have a moment, please go to our uh, Apple Podcasts page, or you know the page on your choice of uh, podcasting platform, and give us a five-star review and uh, rating. Uh, that really helps the show out. And, uh, Jess, do you want to give the audience our, uh, our, uh, social media details? Uh, yeah. We talked
2: about, uh, a single dad selling his adopted son into slavery, who then turns into, turns into wanton murder to cope with his ensuing PPSD, which is postpartum stress disorder, and then reconnects with some old friends. Then he... Gets beat up by one girl, flirts with another girl, runs away with his kidnapped child to fight another day. Uh, That's my quick capsule review of what you've just heard. (laughs) And to get more Mecha Dragon, you can find us at mechadragon.net. Our podcast is on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, Stitcher, everywhere else. You listen to podcasts. And again, thumbs up, five star. We'd like to hear from you. And you can contact us on Facebook at MechaDragon, Twitter and Instagram at MechaDragonShow. And if you'd like to email, we are at MechaDragonShow at gmail.com. So we're looking forward to hear from you guys and can't wait to talk more about The Mandalorian on next episode.
0: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. This is Captain Will signing out.
2: Paces!
0: Our music is Overworld by Kevin MacLeod from incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by attribution 3.0, creativecommons.org, slash licenses, slash buy, slash 3.0.